Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm your host, Brian Jewell, and I am really excited that you have decided to spend some of your time with us today. And as always, our promise to you is that we are going to do everything we can to make that investment of your time worth your while. You know, last year when we started this podcast, one of my goals was to bring you conversations not only with people from inside travel and tourism, but also some of the super smart and creative and innovative people that I have met from outside the tourism industry who have a lot of great insight that they can bring to those of us inside the industry about how we can run better and more profitable tourism businesses and organizations. And that's exactly what we're doing today in our featured conversation with Eva Daniel. Eva is uh, the founder of The Speak Shop. She's a public speaking expert, and she is going to help all of us understand how uh, we, as tourism professionals, are also communicators and how we can be better speakers, whether we are dealing with uh, a group of people on a motor coach or a travel presentation or even speaking at a tourism event or conference. She's going to have lots of great ideas about how you can be more confident and more successful the next time you speak in front of anybody. And I've got to share with you too, in our conversation, Eva said something that made me completely lose my composure. I turned a shade of red I have never turned before. That's a moment I guarantee you're going to want to hear. First, though, let's get into some travel news you may have missed. A proposed city ordinance in Los Angeles may force hotels to house the homeless in unsold rooms. Known as the Responsible Hotel Ordinance, the proposed regulation would compel Los Angeles hotels to make vacant rooms available to the area's growing homeless population. Under the proposal, local hotels would be required to report their numbers of available rooms to the city. Uh, the city would then send homeless people to those rooms with prepaid vouchers for payment at, quote, fair market rates. The proposed ordinance was brought forth by a Los Angeles chapter of Unite Here, a union representing more than 32,000 hotel workers in the city. The union gathered more than 100,000 signatures in support of the initiative, enough to place the measure on the ballot for a vote next March. Union representatives say the measure is necessary because the area's high cost of living results in, quote, hotel workers who can't pay their rent. Other hospitality groups are strongly opposed to the measure, with the American Hotel and Lodging Association CEO Chip Rogers calling it one of the worst ideas we've seen and saying the people that work in hotels and guests are going to flee. We'll see what Los Angeles voters decide in 2024. Well, now it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is the portion of every episode where we reach back into our extensive history and travel and try to bring you some tips that we believe are going to make your upcoming trips smoother and easier and even more successful. Today, I want to take a minute to talk specifically about business trips. That might be for you uh, going to tourism events, trade shows, things like that, any place where it would be helpful to have a business card on hand. You know, I remember my very first business trip as a travel journalist. I was fresh out of college. I was green as can be. This is all the way back in 2003, if you can believe it or not. 
I went on assignment to Arkansas. I was going to spend the week down there. And uh, the very first person I met when I arrived asked me if I had a business card on me. And I'll tell you what, as a uh, freelance journalist at the time, right out of school, it had never occurred to me that I needed to have a business card. And I spent that entire week in Arkansas having to sheepishly tell person after person that, no, I'm sorry, I didn't have a business card. I didn't tell them it was because I was so new. I didn't even know that cards were a thing I needed to have. I just told them I didn't have it on me. Well, you can believe that uh, as soon as I got home, one of the first things I did was print up some business cards. And I have traveled with business cards ever since. But I got to tell you, there's a little bit of a hassle involved in carrying business cards. And uh, the further I go into the tourism industry today, the more I see some inventive alternatives to business cards. I was at a tourism event just last week, and most of the people I met there, when I asked them for their cards, pulled out their smartphones and pulled up a QR code via an app on their smartphones and said, here, you can just scan this code and you'll get all my contact information. And I thought, wow, this is a great idea. You know, business cards, you have to make sure you have them. It's so easy to forget them. Uh, or maybe you keep them in your backpack or your purse or something, but you don't have them on your uh, body when you are walking around a trade show floor. Uh, if you keep them with you, then there's the whole question of, well, where do I keep them? Do I have to keep them in a, a badge holder? Are they in my pocket kind of in an awkward bulk? Uh, is it weird when I try to pull them out of my pocket that my credit card and hotel key and all those other things kind of come out with them? So I'm starting to like these digital cards more and more. There's a number of reasons for that. First of all, there's no waste. Uh, second of all, you don't have to remember to bring them with you. As long as you have your smartphone, you have your business card. Uh, another reason I like them is that with these apps, the info you share goes straight to the person you're meeting's contact list on their phone. Or uh, if I am scanning your digital business card, it's going to put that info right on my phone. And I have my phone contacts synced up to the contacts on my work computer, which means I don't have to remember to hold on to your card or enter your information in my contact list later. It's instant. And another reason I love these is that many of the cards you get, uh, the, these digital business cards, include headshots, which can be really helpful when you've met a few dozen or even a few hundred people over the course of a fam or a business trip or a tourism event, because uh, we all know it's easy to forget exactly who gave you what card and which name goes with which face. Well, these uh, digital solutions solve that problem for you because they give you the person's picture along with their contact information. Now, one tip here that I think is important to talk about, I've seen people try to make uh, digital business cards that work for a long time. And some of them use that sort of um, tap technology. It's, it's technically called NFC, near field communication. And it's something a lot of phones have where they can uh, sense signals coming from some kind of transistor chip. Well, let me tell you, I have seen people try to make those work over and over and over again. And quite frankly, I've never been impressed. Usually they don't work super well, or you have to try four or five times to get it to work. It's just clunky. It's inconvenient. It's a little bit awkward and embarrassing. So if you're interested in a digital business card, there are tons of solutions out there. I would encourage you to go for an app that uses a QR code instead of an NFC tap, because the QR codes are simple. They're super quick. Everybody knows how to use them. The taps, well, you just can't count on them. And the last thing you want when you're making a new business contact 
is an awkward moment trying to get your technology to work. So I'm all about the digital business card. Next time you see me in an event, come ask me for my card and I might just pull out my phone and give you a QR code to scan. That is your road tip of the week. Now, before we move on, I want to share a little bit of news from us. Now, you have probably heard me talk before about our on-site familiarization program. This is a series of fam trips that we do in conjunction with partners in cities and states and even countries all around the world. And let me tell you, these trips are fantastic. Uh, I go on many of them myself, and we routinely hear from travel planners just like you that these on-site fams are among the best fams they have ever been on. Now, I have told you recently about some of the fams that we have uh, announced for next year. And today, I'm excited to be able to tell you about another great fam opportunity that you probably haven't heard about yet. Next winter, you can join us on an on-site fam in Louisiana's Lafayette and Hub City region. That trip is going to take place February 29th through March 4th. We're going to be exploring Lafayette and uh, some of the cities and towns in the surrounding region. I've been to many of these places, and let me tell you, you're in for a treat on this fan. Some of the highlights are going to include Vermilionville, where you're going to learn all about uh, the history and culture of the Acadians, uh, who are uh, the progenitors of the Cajun culture that Lafayette and Louisiana are so well known for. You're going to get to tour the Tabasco factory on Avery Island. Of course, you're going to get a chance to go on a swamp tour, see a working crawfish farm, and uh, visit a super cool family business called Martin Accordions, where you're going to see how uh, accordions are made by hand and get an amazing musical demonstration about the role that accordions play in the heritage music of Louisiana. You definitely don't want to miss that. If you are free, February 29th through March 4th of next year, you need to apply to come on this fam. How do you do that? Well, you go to grouptravelleader.com slash LA-FAM. That's LA like Louisiana-FAM. I'm going to put that link in the show notes so you don't have to worry about writing it down now. You fill out an application form there and we will send your information on to our hosts that we're partnering with and we will let you know as soon as we can uh, whether we have space for you on that trip. Now, we know for sure this trip is going to sell out. We routinely get many more applications uh, for these trips than we have spots for. So what does that mean? That means you need to get your application in early. Get it in as soon as you can. Grouptravelleader.com slash LA-FAM. Now, do we have other fantastic trips coming up for next year? You bet we do. Can I tell you about them now? You bet I can't. But never fear, we're going to have those announcements coming up soon. If you want to be the first to find out, then go to that page, grouptravelleader.com slash fam, sign up there to receive updates, and you will get an email letting you know about the next fam we have going out as soon as we're ready to talk about it. I'll tell you this too. I think we're going to be ready to talk about it pretty soon. I will announce it on the podcast, maybe next episode, maybe a couple episodes from now. It's an exciting one you won't want to miss. So to make sure that you don't miss that announcement, why don't you go over to your favorite podcast player right now? And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe or follow button so that you don't miss that opportunity to get in on another awesome on-site tour for 2024. 
Well, it's just about time for us to get into our featured conversation with Eva Daniel. And as we move into that, I just want to remind you, you don't need to worry about taking notes because I'm taking notes for you. That's right. If you're driving, if you're on the treadmill, if you're gardening, working out, you don't have to stop and try to write down all the amazing things that Eva's going to say, because I am keeping track of some of uh, the biggest takeaways I have from our interview. I'm going to come back and recap those at the end. And I'm also going to make those notes available on the show notes page for this episode. So you'll be able to find them in your podcast app or on our website, wherever you are listening to this episode. And let me encourage you to stick around through the interview and the wrap up, because after we're done there, I want to talk some more about this issue in Los Angeles about uh, maybe requiring hotels to house the homeless population and consider what role the tourism industry should be playing in solving society's problems. That's going to be today's hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Eva Daniel. All right, everybody. My guest today is a public speaking expert who helps leaders around the country develop and deliver compelling content. She spent two decades working with some of the nation's top authors and speakers, including many names you probably know, producing radio broadcasts, podcasts, YouTube shows, and writing speeches. Now she's the owner of The Speak Shop, a coaching company where she works with speakers of all levels to make their time on stage more successful. Eva Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is like the best of two worlds colliding, public speaking and traveling. Isn't it awesome? Every time I get to, to talk to somebody, you know, I, uh, I I love what they're doing and they're like, oh, I love I love what you're doing. I'd love to switch jobs for, for a week or so. Maybe we can uh, make that happen one day. Uh, before we get into travel, though, I want our readers to learn more about you, our listeners to learn more about you. We met at a conference a few years back and uh, you've just been setting the world on fire since then. So give our listeners an idea how you went from like a radio DJ, right, to like a public speaking expert. Absolutely. Well, I think my parents are still amazed that I've managed to make a career talking about talking. <laughs> I was one of those kids who always had a lot to say. I still have a lot to say. So I've been passionate about public speaking, even starting in high school. And then as you mentioned, I had a chance to be a news anchor disc jockey in college, which sounds way more exciting and sexy than it actually was. I <laughs> attended college in a very small rural town, and I think there was probably about eight listeners. And <laughs> nice. But you no, know, it was a great experience, though, of just learning how to be on the air. And I really, truly fell in love with radio, which, of course, now makes somebody sound like a dinosaur. So we all say audio or podcast now. Mm. But 20 plus years ago, right, I fell in love with radio and just learning how to tell stories on the air, learning how to convey content in a compelling way. And that took me down the road of being a podcast and radio producer for almost 15 years before becoming a speechwriter for Dave Ramsey and his team of speakers in the Nashville area. And just learning so much about regardless of the format, regardless if you're giving an article or a LinkedIn post or a speech or a podcast like this, just what makes compelling content. And it always stays the same. You, you've got to hook them at the beginning. You've got to know where you're going and create a story arc and a plan of how you're going to get there. And so just really fell in love with this whole industry. And a little over a year ago, I left my position to start my own company, The Speak Shop. And as you mentioned, I love helping individuals learn how to both develop their content and feel confident in the way that they're delivering it. 
Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Uh, you know, you are one of the most active people I know on LinkedIn. Uh, every day, Eva is posting amazing speaking tips. And they're not all, you know, for people who are on a stage in front of an auditorium of 5,000 people. There are uh, tips that she shares every day that could work uh, fantastically in uh, your leadership meetings at your company or, you know, a, a travel presentation. We're going to get into lots of practical speaking tips for people in the travel space. But uh, before we do that, I wonder if you could let us know, uh, what are some of the most common either misconceptions in the world about speaking or the common mistakes that you see speakers make again and again? Oh, I wish we had five hours and I feel like I need a couch. <laughs> I could just debrief. I would say one of them for sure is one of the biggest mistakes that we make is procrastination. We wait too long to develop the content and we wait too long to practice the delivery. I can't tell you how many times even professional, well-known speakers have not actually run their content through a real person for feedback prior to delivering it live. And so if you're going to make one change on your entire process, whether again, public speaking, I'm using that term, you're using that term, that can be a one-on-one -on -one presentation over Zoom that you're giving to an investor. It could be to a small group interested in the travel plans that you have, or it could be at a big conference. So regardless of the size, have you practiced that content in front of a real person before delivering it? I always give the caveat to your spouse doesn't count because either they are going to be too honest or not honest enough, all depending on how long you've been married. And so it's very helpful to actually pull somebody in a room, maybe a colleague or a friend, and just say, I have this presentation I'm going to be giving. Would you listen to it and run it through? That helps you get through those nerves. It also gets you that first rep Oftentimes, it'll be the third or the fourth time before we're delivering something before it really starts to shine. And so one of those big mistakes truly is just procrastination. And then another one that follows pretty closely on that is not really knowing the point of your presentation, not having distilled the whole thing down to what is the one takeaway you want your audience to leave with after they've heard you? Do you want them to sign up to go on this trip? Do you want them to consider you? Using you as you know a resource in the future? Do you want them to feel inspired, educated? Like what is what you want your audience to leave with? Because knowing the point of your presentation can really help you clarify what stays and what goes, what stories you share, what stats you share, what photos you share on a slide behind you. Knowing what your ultimate goal is makes a huge difference. All right. That's, there's so much there. I want to unpack it a little bit. I, I can see many of our listeners because they're so passionate about travel. I can see many of them saying, you know, when I go to do this presentation on our trip to Hawaii uh, next week, I've been to Hawaii eight times. I love it so much. I could talk about Hawaii for two hours. Why can't I just stand up and talk? Why can't I just, you know, riff and let it come naturally uh, and, and lean on my own charisma and my passion for the product? Like, why should I go through the extra work of uh, preparing a bullet, bullet point outline or a script and uh, rehearsing with somebody. Uh, why is that so much better than just off the cuff, extemporaneous speaking? Well, a couple of things from what you said. One, I love, and I do want people to hear off the cuff, extemporaneous speaking can be very, like very powerful. And so I always like to say, you want to plan in some spontaneity to your content. So you plan it out, but then you do allow that element of feeding off audience energy, bringing in that enthusiasm. But the biggest thing to answer your question is we 
oftentimes when we're giving that presentation, we are thinking of it from our point of view, not the audience's point of view. And your presentation is not about you. It's about your audience and what they need to know. And especially with travel presentations and travel stories, we can get so excited and enamored about all these amazing things we've done. Or let's even say we're in a, we're giving a presentation where we're sharing photos to kind of inspire and invigorate and having people imagine what it'd be like for them to go there. We can kind of oversaturate our audience with information. We can share way too many details, but we all, no matter if you're talking about travel or in the case like mine, where I, I spend my days talking about public speaking, we can all get a little too close to our content. We know so much about our industries. We know so much about these things that we're passionate about. And I want you to know all of the things, but mm-hmm. your audience doesn't actually need to know all of the things. They need to know far less than you think they need to know. And they also know far less about the topic than you think that they know about it. So to you, it might feel like you're explaining the alphabet, like you're just giving them here's A and here's B and here's C on whatever my presentation is. But to them, it's going to be new, exciting, interesting information. So I think that we have this tendency if we just decide, oh, I'm going to be off the cuff. I'm going to be natural. I'm not going to plan it. We can unintentionally either provide them and overwhelm them with way too much content And also not enough of the kind of content they need to be able to make the decision of maybe whatever you're selling or you're pitching or you're presenting to them. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So you mentioned you need to go into that moment with a clear goal. Like what are you trying to accomplish? Uh, Let's say that goal is to get signups for a trip that you're getting ready to run. How do you get to there without seeming salesy because nobody wants to feel like they sat through a 30 minute or a 60 second or 60 minute sales pitch. So how do you, you know, create that compelling moment where somebody says, I want to sign up for this and I'm going to write a check today to buy it without them feeling like you just, you know, uh, ran them through the sales ringer. Well, and no one likes to be pitch slapped. We don't like to instantly be getting a pitch about, (laughs) Can I say that on this one? I said, you pitch, can say that. Pitch. I just was not expecting okay. it. So I know, and I, I that's what I love to do is catch the host off guard. I wish everyone could see you right now because I think you're turning a little red because so you were not red. expecting that. I love it. That's always the goal. If it, tip for anyone, if you're going to be a guest on a podcast, try to catch the co- host off guard. It makes for the best go. content. But no one likes that instant pitch. Nobody likes to feel they've been listening to this compelling presentation, regardless of the length, five minutes, 60 minutes, where at the end, it's like, and you too can buy this and let's throw in some knives and let's throw in all of these (laughs) other things. No one wants that. And so a great way around that is to make sure that the rest of your content, either you have given them value and you've provided something meaningful for them in their lives that they can apply regardless if they buy whatever it is that you're selling. And mm-hmm. so as you're thinking through your presentation, what are some things within there that you can provide value? Let's say that you are giving, you gave an example a minute ago. Let's say that you're planning a trip to Hawaii. You've been eight times. You are giving this presentation about why they should sign up to go on your group trip to Hawaii. Well, what is something, what are some helpful tips that maybe you could give them in there about what traveling to Hawaii is like or how you can make the most of your trip, regardless if you go with us or not? Or what is maybe another travel tip that you could provide about? I know you've done this so well on this podcast of how to take better photos or mm. how to, you know, pull in an element that anyone, anywhere in your audience can use, regardless if they sign up to you or not. Because when people feel that they've received value from you in other ways, they're not going to feel sold as much. And another is always 
just keeping in mind that you are selling the value of the experience. Mm. You're not wanting to get them bogged down in the costs of everything or the logistics of everything or how we handle all the logistics for you. Maybe you want to attend to that, but you want to share the value of what is going to feel like when your feet hit that sand in Hawaii and when you get to take a tour of that pineapple plantation or whatever the components of that presentation are. And so always keeping in mind, again, your presentation is not about you. It's about your audience and how can you bring value when with what you're doing um, before, before you give the pitch. Now, when it actually comes time to, you really do want them to sign up to join you on that group presentation. There's a lot of things you can keep in mind with that pitch itself. And a few of those are being really clear and not getting too cluttered by trying to add in too many things. Make your pitch as clear as it can be. I want you to sign up. Well, are they signing up for more information? Are they signing up to get a phone call? Are they signing up to... People can be a little skeptical and a little jaded to sign up for things if they don't know what the next steps are. So sometimes it can just be really effective. Once you sign the QR code, you're going to receive the email, have the chance to take the survey or whatever that next smallest step is so that I know as an attendee in the audience, if I sign up, what am I signing up for? And just being mm. as clear as possible on what those next steps are. Yeah. So if we're trying to avoid the pitch slap, how do you feel about uh, some kind of sign up incentive? Like, you know, if you put a deposit on the trip today, I'm going to take $200 a person off uh, the total cost. Is that over the line or is that a good kind of uh, incentivation? I think that's a good incentivation as long as it's true. Okay. Meaning... Don't create scarcity that doesn't exist. If the scarcity does exist, if you are going to give $200, if you sign up today or within the next 24 hours, then you need to make sure that that's true and that you're not giving $200 off all the way leading up to it. Don't create something that's not true. Be truthful about it. But I think there's always space for incentivization, especially even I'm, I never cease to be amazed at how crazy people go over free stuff. Mm. Even if it's something I don't want, I can be excited about winning a hat, getting it, you know, getting, getting the bag, getting the, whatever the thing is at the conference. So also, you know, something physical, like if you sign up within the next 24 hours, you're going to get this book, this hat, this, this other thing, the $200 off. I think that that can actually be very effective as long as you're doing it in a truthful way. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, uh, there are always questions surrounding travel and trips and, you know, it makes sense because your audience, they're considering whether they're going to spend a significant amount of money with you and trust you with what could be a, a huge emotional milestone in their life, right? A trip that they've dreamed about their entire life. So, you know, you've got to build that trust and then they're going to have questions. They, they want to know if they're going to be safe and if you're going to, you know, what kind of hotels you're going to use. How do you suggest people integrate time for questions into that speaking encounter without just losing control of the room, getting bogged down in the details and the whole thing just kind of crumbling into nothingness at the end of, of the time together? Well, thank you for asking one of my most passionate points. So I, I have the hot take, which means a strong opinion that you should never end your talk on a Q&A. And here's why. The reason why is that you have given the control of a powerful ending over to the last question asker. And Brian, I know you have spoken a lot. You've taken a lot of Q&As from people. Inevitably, inevitably, there's always that person who asks a question that either isn't a question, it's like a long statement and we don't yeah. even know where the question was within it, 
or they ask a question that's very, very niche to their personal situation, their personal life, and it really doesn't apply to the bulk of the room. And as a presenter, you almost have to do that. That's really unique to you. Find me afterwards because you'll yeah. do your best in the moment to answer, but it's just not applicable to everyone. And the problem is if you end your talk on a Q&A, you have no idea what that last question is going to be or even how many questions people will have. Sometimes we've had, we've all who speak regularly had that situation where sometimes people are popping up with lots of questions and you could go on forever and it's lively and it's fun and it's entertaining. Other times it feels we're giving the same presentation. There'll be crickets in the room and we're, you know, like, Oh, okay. So a couple things within that one, I encourage people don't end your talk on a Q and a, okay, well then what do you end your talk on? Save three to five minutes of your content to come back with at the end. So what this would sound like before you go into your Q and a, you would say something like, I'm going to pause now to take questions and then I'm going to come back and tell you one of the most magnificent things you have to see in Hawaii. Well, then you've kind of intrigued them to like, you know, not tune out, come back after the Q&A. After that Q&A, you come back with a three to five minute story. So getting back in it, you've taken your last question and you say something like, hey, I want you guys to sign up. There's information behind me, but I have to tell you guys about the one thing you don't want to miss when you're in Mm -hmm. Hawaii. And then you end with a closing story of whatever your topic is because your open and your closing are the most important parts of your entire presentation. Your opening is important because that's the time where you're making that warmth and competency connection with your audience in which they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to listen to you, how credible you seem, whether or not they're going to want to sign up with you, the trustworthiness. And that five minutes is that last impression that they're going to have of you. And so you want to own that last impression. You want to make sure it's strong. You want to make sure you've dialed in that content with something compelling and that you don't just kind of trail off. Well, thanks guys. This has been fun. No, you want to own that ending so that everyone's impression of you is great. Also within that on Q&A, a couple things that can be effective when actually fielding the Q&A is going to your Q&As with a couple pocket questions for yourself. What I mean by this is if people are a little slow, maybe they even have to get to microphone to be able to ask that question to you, or you're waiting for that first brave soul to raise their hand. It can be very effective to have a pocket question, something like, you know, people often ask me, uh, or people often ask me, Hey, Brian, what should I see whenever I go to, uh, to um, should, are the Kona coffee plants worth going to in Hawaii or whatever mm-hmm. the thing is. And almost having a question that you can answer that you've already kind of thought of a story or something around to just kind of give yourself a little extra content, a little extra buffer, having two or three of these, even thinking through what are the most popular questions that people ask me after giving this presentation Maybe you want to get some of that content in your content. If people always ask you the same exact things, that's a pretty good indicator. It's a mm. gap in your content. But you can also look for patterns in that Q&A and go, oh, you know, I'm going to just kind of give myself this question or get to this point so that you feel a little bit more confident in control of Q&A. Because Q&A, as you know, it can just be the Wild West yep. and you can get anything under the sun and it can really derail what could have been an amazing presentation. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I uh, I took this tip directly from you uh, for my last uh, big uh, presentation on stage at a travel conference, and it worked beautifully. I can't even oh, I love tell to you how I wonderful like it was. Feedback. Yeah, yeah. What, it did perfect. it feel awkward? Because it feels awkward the first few times you do it to not end on a Q&A if that's been your pattern. Uh, well, but setting the expectation was the key because I did exactly what you said. I, you know, I, I wrapped up, I got to, you know, 
what was almost a stopping point. And then I said, okay, we're going to take questions. And then I'm coming back with one more thought on, you know, in this case, it was on how, you know, we can use the power of travel to change some of these problems we've been talking about in our culture. And uh, people were ready and receptive. And I feel like, you know, the room was just as um, open to that final point as they were everything else I had said. So it I was, love that. Um, yeah, yeah, it was great. Okay, so you mentioned you got five minutes basically at the beginning where people are going to determine whether they're going to pay attention to you or not. So what are some of the keys to actually getting them to pay attention to the rest of your talk instead of zoning out, checking their phones, all the other things they could do? We can learn a lot about contrast. So I'm going to share a few things you don't want to do that we see speakers do all the time. And then I'll share some things that you can do to make it a little stronger. So what yeah. we see a lot of times is people stand up and they say, oh, thanks so much for being, hey, thanks so much for having me. You know, when Joe invited me, blah, 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 blah. Or wow, the weather here in Phoenix is so hot compared to wherever I live and blah. We've really said nothing that first couple of minutes. So what you don't want to do is not use that first minute or two. Instead, I want you to dive right into your content. In some situations, it can be extremely effective to start with a story, but I don't want you to give a list of facts. I want you to start with a story. A lot of times we think we're telling stories because we're giving a lot of details, but we're not really making them engaging. So start right in the middle. And I'm going to keep keep hammering on this, this Hawaii this Hawaii example. But let's just say that I, my presentation was on, was on Hawaii. Instead of being, you know, just a lot of details about the first time you went to Hawaii and all the lead up and how you had to save money and it was your, you know, honeymoon or whatever, like just dive right in. I'll never forget the moment when I was looking over the waterfall and I decided, are you going to jump or not? I was at the highest point in all of Kauai and I had to decide, are you going to be the type of person that jumps off the cliff into the water? Or are you going to stay on that? Well, whoa, suddenly I'm, I'm drawn yeah. in. Well, yeah. well, did you jump? Did you not jump? Like, And then you can backtrack the details of the, the story of, of the ones that are relevant to the point of how you got to Hawaii, how you saved up the money, the travel company you went for, whatever the scenario is. But so one very effective method is to just dive right into the middle of a story. And if you think of any of your favorite movies, I mean, Brian, what's your favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? It's always a hard uh, you know, question. I, I always go back you, to like the Ocean's uh, trilogy, like Ocean's Eleven. Okay, great. The Ocean's movies are a great example of this. They dive right in. There's not a, this ton of backstory. You're not hearing the background of each of the characters. And how, no, it's like right in the right in the center. We're in the middle of like you know a heist and this whole thing that's happening. And most yeah. of the great movies we all like, whether it's Legally Blonde or Saving Private Ryan or anything in between the movie starts right in in the center. So consider that for your next presentation, diving right in. Another effective thing that you could start would be, is there an interesting stat or statistic that will draw people right in? Did you know, and I'm making this stat up, so nobody fact check <laughs> it, but did you know that tw this year, 27% of you will do something? Ooh, well, I want to know what that is. And maybe your 27% is 27% of you will... Um, you know, go on a three-day weekend out of town or whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. The, the stat is. But starting with a compelling, interesting stat that ties into your content can also be an effective start. Thinking through, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of effective starts, but a lot of them, you know, story, a stat, a startling statement, an analogy, humor, 
the old advice of start your speech with a joke. No, don't start with it to speak with your joke if you're not funny. But if you are funny and you're the kind of person that regularly tells jokes, starting a speech with a joke can be very effective. So knowing your style, knowing the way you like to speak, but starting with a bang and owning that first couple minutes. And after that first couple minutes, so I've got you, you know, envisioning this cliff. Oh, well, I decide to jump. Then I can backtrack and give some of those details. And I do at some point in my speech want to thank Joe for inviting me to speak, but it's going to come off far more sincere if you can put place it a little bit deeper into your content and feel a little less cliche. If a few minutes in, you can make that more sincere. And you know, that's one of the things I love about Joe and why I know he asked me to speak is because we're both the kind of guys that jump off cliffs, you know, or whatever the thing is, but wedging that content in a little bit deeper is going to make it far more effective. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. So uh, talk to me about media, photos, videos, slideshows. Uh, slideshows have become, you know, uh, everywhere in every presentation, it seems like. How much should you use media and uh, to what extent and to what effect? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that you, not your slide deck, is the presentation. They did not hire you to come and speak or your company doesn't have you on payroll to go and speak because they want you to just give people a slide deck. You want to give the audience you. And so keeping in mind that you, not your media, is the presentation is really important. Also keeping in mind, if all of my media crashed, if no video was able to fire, if no photo was able to load, could you still give the presentation? Because you should still be able to give a compelling presentation regardless if you had any media or not. That being said, media enhances and livens and really can bring life to our presentations. A good rule of thumb, though, is to not keep it simple, to keep it simple, not to have too many photos or slides. There's a lot of trends now even about, and, you know, Seth Godin has been doing this for years where it's like a slide constantly, where it's one simple picture, one simple word. The biggest thing to think through on this is the whole entire goal of your slides or any media you're using, whether that's a video clip or anything else, is to enhance what you're saying and to visually bring life to your words. We all know that a picture can paint a thousand words, and this is very true. I could describe my experience of jumping off that cliff in in Kauai, but if I were to show you a picture, you'd be able to instantly envision a lot more. But we don't want to oversaturate our audience with too many. So some people say that you should have a slide every three to five minutes. Some say it should be far more than that. But really one of the best ways to determine it is practicing running through that content with someone else that's not as close to the content as you are. Mm -hmm. Because what you don't want to do is feel that you're giving a... What you don't want to do is have the audience feel that you're sharing all of these photos of the trip that they didn't get to take. Uh, They need to envision themselves taking the trip. mm. So if your photo makes them feel in the moment that they could envision themselves doing it, it's added. If it makes them just feel like, well, cool, Brian's got to go to a lot of places. Brian's got to see a lot of things. It really hasn't achieved your goal. And so I guess just a good bench, bench kind of question to have is, is this photo, this piece of media helping the audience envision themselves living out what I'm suggesting, taking the trip, going on the investing in my company, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Now, something that a lot of our listeners find themselves doing, uh, is, uh, a little sponsorship, uh, 
presentation at a conference. So let's say they're at a travel conference or they're at something in their community and they paid some money to sponsor something. And as part of that sponsorship, they get 60 seconds up to maybe five minutes on stage. How would you suggest they make the most of that very short format where uh, a lot of people in the room are maybe not paying attention because they know it's a sponsored message and, you know, it's not the core content. How do you make an impact in 60 seconds, 120 seconds, five minutes, you know, whatever that time frame is? Well, before I answer that, I would love to hear from your perspective, what you do and what you have seen done that you feel is effective or not effective. And then I have a couple thoughts as well. Okay. So I, I have talked about this on the podcast before. Every conference I've been to, sponsors get up and they, uh, they talk for maybe 30 seconds and then they just show a video of their destination. And every video is the stinking same. It's, you know, starts with a drone shot of like, you know, flying over the city skyline and then there's people shopping on main street. And then there's a couple at a bar having drinks. And I mean, it's just like, I could almost tell you what the next shot in the video is going to be. And the music (laughs) all sounds the same. And so, and if you're at a travel conference where there are six or seven of these presentations over three days, uh, by the end of three days, nobody's video stood out to you. And you don't feel like you got to know the person because all they did was get up there and, you know, say hi. And then, you know, pitched a video. So that's what I feel like doesn't work. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what would work better. Well, I think you have helped me. And the reason I ask as you, since I haven't seen all these, I love what you said there is people are getting six, seven, eight, however many of these throughout the thing. So what can you do to be different? Because that might shake things up a little bit more. Again, 60, 120 seconds, that's going to go really fast. And to your point, a lot of people are, you know, adjusting their nose because they're just kind of waiting for the the, the real speaker to get on the stage. Yeah. But a lot of it is the warmth and that friendliness. Mm. Sometimes we get so intense, especially when we're pitching our company, we're sharing our elevator pitch or brand, where we forget some just kind of like basic human connections of smile, smiling at mm. people, using humor. I always say, and on those, because you're on and off, potentially on and off the stage or the front of the room so quickly, you know, you're maybe sitting in the front row, row and you pop up for your 60 seconds and you sit back down, but consciously planting your feet, shoulder width apart, dropping your shoulders, opening mm. up your arms and smiling and pausing before you start can be very effective from a delivery standpoint. In terms of the content, I would say maybe if you're the first one of the day where the video is exceptionally good, maybe share it, but maybe consider what would it look like instead to share something really interesting or fun about the location. Maybe let's say your video, you know, you were saying like the bar scene of whatever, maybe you could have fun and be like, you know, a martini in Manhattan costs this, but Morocco, you can't even get one because you're going to have this. Like maybe there's a way to just <laughs> yeah. pull in a little interest or intrigue about what makes you and your company and the way that you do things and the differently from other people. But in that 60 to 120 seconds, you really have to keep in mind, you are going to only really be covering one core thing and your entire goal. Again, thinking back to that goal, your goal is to pique enough interest and be friendly enough, warm enough that people want to come and talk to you and engage with your Mm -hmm. company. That's just the entry point to have them go deeper with you. Again, I... People love giveaways. So instead of just doing it, can you give away a piece of swag? Can you do a quick little a quiz or a, let's just say your video was on going to Morocco. Could you, could you have a fun question about Morocco that the first person to get it right gets a hat from your company or mm. gets a gift card for a coffee or something like that? So even thinking through, even in a short frame of time, how could you 
be engaging by maybe sharing a little story, a little humor, or getting the audience involved with your message. Um, I think it would be my suggestions. Yeah. Uh, I love that. We could go on and on on this topic. There's so much oh, more. I could. I could talk all day about talking. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I have to encourage people again to find you on LinkedIn, follow you there. The, the content is fresh every single day. There's awesome uh, carousels and, and videos, and it will make you a better speaker just you know by taking 60 seconds a day to, to see what Eva has to say every morning. Uh, in addition to LinkedIn, where should people uh, find you, engage with your content, learn more about what you do? Well, as you mentioned, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Very engaged there. I also, if you go to thespeakshop.com, I just have a free resource there of 12 questions you must ask for a killer speech. And that can just, it's kind of think of it as a checklist of the 12 questions once you think you're done with your content to just run it through it to make sure that you've hit all of the elements that you need to hit to give a great presentation. Yeah, fantastic. We will link to both of those things in the show notes. So before we let you go, we have uh, some final questions we ask every guest and these are just for fun. So no pressure, uh, just answer off the top of your head. Uh, when you travel, do you book a window seat or an aisle seat? Depends how long the flight is. Window, if it's under two and a half hours, aisle if it's over two and a half hours. Never the middle, unless you're Southwest and then you just forgot at the check-in. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you just got to take what you can get. Okay. So what's something uh, that's always in your carry on that you wouldn't travel without? A book. Yeah. I, oh, I love, I love to read and despite trying to get into the e-readers, I just always have, I always have a, at least one book, if not, yeah. if not a couple. And I always am over ambitious. You're not going to read. You're going to be out on the, you know, the street of wherever <laughs> eating, you know, baguettes on the corner, but I always take more books than I should. Nice. Is this fiction or nonfiction? I have made a big switch the last year to reading more fiction. Up until about yeah. a year ago, all I read was nonfiction and I've been getting a lot more into novels. Yeah. Super fun. All right. So if you had a free airline pass and a week with nothing else to do, where would you be headed next? New Zealand. Oh yeah. Although for just one week, New Zealand, the, the time change is big, but it's been on my bucket list. New Zealand and Ireland are very high on my list currently of places I want to go. Yeah, we can make an exception and give you two weeks. Okay, give me two weeks. Difference. How about a month? And is it fully paid? <laughs> fully paid, yeah. And, so you take all my can, friends? <laughs> you can choose whether the kids stay home or come with you. I think, I think they'll stay home. At least, you know, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so final question. What's something uh, you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? I spent my senior year of high school as a foreign exchange student in Australia, and I just loved Australia so much. And when I was in Australia, I had the chance to go all the way to the center to see Uluru or Ayers Rock, which is mm -hmm. just stunning. And at that, at that season of life, you could still climb it. I'm not sure if you can still climb it or not, but I would love to be able to take my family back to Australia, see the beautiful beaches, but then also see the center because the center is so wildly different from anything else I'd ever experienced. Oh, that's amazing. I hope you get there one day. I'm confident uh, that you are going to find a way to make that happen. So Eva, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great. Thank you so much. Well, I sure hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Eva as much as I did. Uh, Eva is a ton of fun, but she also has a ton 
of really insightful things to say in the area of public speaking and storytelling and even sales. And I want to circle back to a few of the things that she said to make sure you didn't miss them because they are so good. So uh, get ready because we're going to review. I'm going to move quickly because there's so much goodness here. When we were talking about the importance of rehearsing a presentation before you give it live, Eva said, have you practiced that content in front of a real person before delivering it? She said, it's very helpful to pull somebody in a room and run through it. And it gets you through those nerves and gets you through that first rep. Great idea there, especially if you don't speak a lot. If speaking is not something that comes naturally to you, then running your presentation for somebody, number one, is going to help you refine it and fine tune it. But number two, it's going to make you more comfortable with the content. And I have found that the better you know your content, the more confident you can be on stage. Now, when we talked about the role of sales in public speaking, Eva said, no one likes to be pitch slapped. She said, nobody likes that instant pitch. And a great way around that is to make sure that the rest of your content has given them value and provided something meaningful for their lives, regardless of whether they buy whatever it is you're selling. And she went on to say, you are selling the value of the experience. So you don't want people to get bogged down in the cost or logistics. You want them to know what it's going to feel like. And she said, that's what you need to focus your presentation content on. Now, Eva also said that when it comes to the end of your talk, you should not end your talk on a Q&A. She said to save three or five minutes to come back with at the very end, because your open and your closing are the most important moments of your entire presentation. She said you want to own that ending so that everyone's impression of you is great. And finally, when we talked about using media in presentations, Eva said you, not your slide deck, are the presentation. She said, you want to give the audience you and that you should ask yourself, if all of my media crashed, could I still give the presentation? She said, you should be able to give a compelling presentation, whether you have media or not. But she also said a good rule of thumb is to keep it simple and that the goal of media is to enhance what you're saying and bring life to your words. Let me tell you, in the tourism industry and specifically at tourism events, we sit through a lot of presentations, don't we? I can't even count the dozens or hundreds of uh, short presentation sponsor messages, long keynotes that I have been an audience member for in my 20 years in tourism. And let me just say this. If we would all take Eva's words to heart, it would revolutionize the kind of meetings we have. It would make them more fun. It would make them more enjoyable. And we would all take away so much more. So, do yourself a favor, follow Eva on LinkedIn, apply some of her tips to the next time that you speak, whether it's in front of a big group or a small group, I promise your audience will thank you for it. Great stuff there from Eva Daniel. Well, we talked earlier in our industry news segment about this proposal in Los Angeles to force hotels to house homeless people in their unsold rooms overnight. There's a lot to say on that topic. I have some thoughts and that is going to be the subject of today's Hot Minute. Yeah, that's right. The Hot Minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue impacting tourism every day. And today, we're going to ask the question, what role should the tourism industry play in solving society's problems? So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. 
This proposal to make Los Angeles hotels house the city's homeless population is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever heard because it would force the tourism industry to solve problems that we didn't create. Now, I'm sympathetic to LA's high cost of living, but that's a complex social issue and asking hoteliers to bear the brunt of it is inherently unjust. We've been through issues like this before when governments try to raid tourism funds to make up for budget shortfalls or place onerous restrictions on travel and hospitality for public health reasons. It never works out well, and it's never fair. Now, tourism can contribute to challenges in many places, and I'm game for the travel industry doing its part to solve problems such as overcrowding and exploitation. But I'm sick and tired of political leaders trying to force our industry to solve the problems they created through their own short-sighted policies. That's the hot minute. That's how I see it anyway. Of course, as always, you are welcome to disagree with me and we can still be friends. And hey, whether you agree or disagree or have other thoughts or questions, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I read every email that comes into that address. I love hearing from you. And hey, you never know. Your thought or question might just be the subject of the next hot minute. And hey, while you are in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a big favor? Would you go to your podcast player of choice? And first of all, if you're not following or subscribing to the show, do that. And then give us a rating, leave us a review. That is super helpful. And I'm grateful to all of you who have done that so far. I'm grateful as well to Eva Daniel for joining us today on the next episode of Gather and Go. I'm going to bring you a fascinating conversation with a marketing expert named Andrew Davis, who is going to tell us all about how we can use AI in tourism marketing in ways that are responsible and frankly, make a lot of sense. You won't want to miss that conversation. Until then though, remember this, at the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Danya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 859-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information on our podcast, magazines, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. Gather and Go.